You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 134. So if you're self-managing as a coach and you're learning yourself as a coach and you're in a place of presence, your gut's going to tell you that question feels a little intrusive. And you're either not going to ask it because you know it's a little intrusive, or you're going to say, a question just popped into my head, but it feels like it, it feels uncomfortable to me. So it might be uncomfortable to you. I'm going to ask it, but if it's the kind of question that that's not helpful, let's just let it go. Right. So you can do that. You can say this, this question feels heavy, but it seems relevant. Maybe you decide you're the client. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Star Coach Show. This is Meg Rentschler. I am so pleased to have you here with us and we have a great show today. I'm joined by my friend Steve Coxie and we are going to debunk five myths about the differences between coaching and therapy and try to take away those blurred lines and make it really clear. I'm going to tell you more about the show in just a second. I do want to take just a moment to give a shout out to the women of the Tappy organization. I was slotted to be the keynote speaker for their second annual women's conference this week. And unfortunately, Mother Nature had a completely different plan. I spent all day trying to get out of DFW Airport to get to Indianapolis for the summit. And through a series of canceled flights and delayed flights, was not able to be there bright and early on Thursday morning. I was heartsick over it. And as we'll discuss in today's show, that was a situational depressive episode for me. Maybe not needing therapy, probably could have done some coaching around it was very disappointed. So a shout out to the women of the Tappy organization and my sincere apologies for not being able to be there. As we talk about disappointing life events such as that that occur and that our clients are going to bump into disappointing life events as well, that is one of the things that my guests today and I are going to talk about. Now, Steve Coxie is a licensed professional counselor and a professional certified coach. He's the founder and president of Thriving Edge Incorporated, a coaching and training business that aligns success and well-being through applied positive psychology. Steve operates under two hats. On the one hand, he's an executive coach where he works with professionals on workplace leadership and self-leadership as well as working with business owners. He also maintains an active part-time therapy practice in under his hat of licensed professional counselor. Now, the common thread of his career path from therapist to preschool center owner to executive coach to trainer and mentor is his mission to promote lifelong growth 
and development. Steve is one of the nicest people I know. He is active in our North Texas ICF chapter. That's where we've met and gotten to know one another. And I know you're going to so enjoy his time, our time together as we debunk five myths that we came up with between therapy and coaching. Now, one of the things that Steve's focus has been and my focus has been is on continuous growth and development. So before we get into today's interview, I want to once again let you know that if you're in a place of needing some additional continuing education, if you would like to learn from truly masterful coaches, I'm going to highly recommend the Essence of Mastery Summit, which is on sale now for tickets for the summit that opens in June. This summit is filled with coaches that are icon coaches, and it is hosted by Annie Gelfin, a master certified coach who was actually our guest in episode 132. She is dynamic, and the coaches that she have pulled together, half of them have been guests on the Star Coach Show, fabulous guests on the Star Coach Show. People like Cynthia Lloyd Darst, Jane Adshead Grant, and Molly Gordon, and Georgina Woodstra, to name just a few really dynamic master certified coaches who have taught us through the podcast, but that are doing deep dives into areas that you can learn and grow from in the master, the Essence of Mastery Summit. So if you're interested in that, check out the link in the show notes or at starcoachshow.com on the resource page. There's a big picture of the summit and a link to explore whether that is something that you would like to do to get 21 and a half core competency credits. It blows me away the price that Annie has it available for. So check it out if you need some continuing education. So enough of that commercial. I am on to our interview today with my friend, Steve Coxie. Let's go debunk some myths about the differences between coaching and therapy. Steve Coxie, welcome to the Star Coach Show. It's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Thank you, Meg. It's always fun to see you. You've always got a smile on your face, and it brings a smile to my face. Oh, well, thank you. And many of you can't see us, but Steve and I are actually on video with each other, so we can see each other's smiling faces. And, you know, Steve, we were at the All Texas Conference retreat that we do in the state of Texas with our four great chapters, where we go to the Hill Country and we hang out for several days together. And I had the honor of being on the panel that was at the end of the conference where we just fielded some questions about coaching as a whole. And the concept of coaching versus therapy came up as a it couple often times, does. as it often does, exactly. And we just kind of felt the energy in the room kind of start popping, right? I mean, people had questions and it sort of got out of control. And so you and I were talking afterwards about maybe this would be a good conversation to have with the audience. And you were kind enough to agree to come do that. So today we're going to debunk five myths that seem to be prevalent about 
coaching versus therapy, and hopefully help the audience have a greater understanding about, as a coach, when am I maybe stepping over the line, or when does it seem appropriate to make a referral for somebody, and yet not to have a what's it called? A hair, hair trigger, hair, hair trigger. Yeah. Yeah. And just minute, you know, think, Oh, this person must need therapy because of X, Y, and Z. Right. So we actually had lunch, discussed the five myths and we really want to bring those forward to you. So thanks for partnering with me to do this. You're welcome. We probably should have recorded that conversation. We were probably far more brilliant but we'll try to recreate the brilliance. We'll try to recreate our brilliance, yeah. absolutely. I think that the people in the restaurant didn't think, think that we were ever going <laughs> to. They were like That's so true. glad to escort us out the door. <laughs> so let's start with myth number one. Myth number one is if a topic involves emotions, particularly those, quote, uncomfortable emotions, mm-hmm. it must be a therapeutic conversation. It must be, because nobody can talk about uncomfortable emotions, but a therapist is the fear, that I think. Is the fear. I think it's sort of like, what am I supposed to do as the coach? So what are your thoughts about the whole concept of if it's uncomfortable, if it's emotion, if it's tears and, you know, sort of this intensity of emotion that can happen at times? Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts about whether that is therapy or coaching? Well, what I've noticed so far in my coaching journey is that most of the people I coach are human beings, and so they're going to have some strong feelings. Now, they don't all bring them to a coaching session, and they don't. I can have a client for years who never brings a really distressing emotion, but I can have a client for a few months who does. Mm-hmm. And because we're all human beings, we're capable of having feelings of distress in a situation. Distress in a situation does not mean that you have an emotional problem that requires therapy. Distress in a situation doesn't mean that you should only talk to a therapist, right? If, if it's something that you could talk to a friend about or something you could talk to a family member about, it can be an appropriate topic for a coaching conversation. Now, what I see is that a lot of coaches, especially, you know, both you and I train coaches, right? So we get to see people through that journey, which is really cool. It's quite an honor. Absolutely. It is. Uh, But earlier in the process, there can be a lot of fear about, oh no, there's this difficult emotion. I I don't know how to do this. What do I do? So what do we do? So what do we do? (laughs) So exactly. So that, and, and I find that to be similar in a way to also when we have new client or new coaching students coming through, it's this trying to find the boundary of what coaching is coaching Mm -hmm. versus consulting. So, you know, that we're to the work super hard on not being directive with our clients because we don't want to be directive with our clients. We want to be a coach and meet them where they are and invite exploration. And with coaching, one part of the competencies are that we are being responsive to the client's emotions. Right. We are recognizing them, that we're inquiring about them, that we're helping the client expand their thinking. And sometimes when we expand our thinking, that's also impacting the way that we feel about things as we think about things as well. So just because there's an uncomfortable emotion, we want to meet our client there and explore. And maybe it's giving time for them to just have that emotion. You don't have to fix the emotion. It might be, take your time. I hear a lot of emotion happening. What's going on for you right now? And and specifically, we we don't want to fix the emotion, 
right? Exactly. That, that's the trap that, that some people might, that might be part of the fear for some people is I don't know what to do to fix it. You don't have to, right? Because you, you mentioned that the responsiveness to emotion is part of our core competency. So is establishing trust and intimacy. And, and so in my book, at the top of the list is coaching presence. You know, that's to me the linchpin. And to be present is to be attuned to the full person, the whole person, their behavior, their values, their emotional responses, all of who they are. So presence is the way for us just to be with them, not fixing them, not trying to distract them, allowing what their experience is and being calm and present and accepting of them as they have that experience. Because if we come from the position, they are naturally creative, resourceful and whole. They will not fall apart because of an uncomfortable emotion. They will actually find their Mm self-regulation and pull it together. And hopefully on the other side, have some awareness now that they've gone through that. You know, emotions can be very cathartic. Mm -hmm. They can help us get to a greater understanding about what's happening with us when we can sort of inventory that, look at that, acknowledge that. So part of that concept of an uncomfortable emotion is, you know, what is the issue that's being addressed? What is it that's sort of bringing up that emotion for the client? And we're going to talk about different ways that we can handle that as the interview continues. But what are we trying to help the client explore? Like we said, maybe just hold the space for them Mm -hmm. to be able to experience that emotion. It's not unusual that a client might come into a session after they've just had a situation at work that has really thrown them for a loop. Right, right. I actually just had a session yesterday with a client who wound up in tears and uh, said, I am not the kind of person who usually cries and I was not going to cry. And I didn't know she was going to cry. It was just the nature of the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. But emotions, you know, not to be too much of a psychology nerd that I love to be. So pull me off the, pull me off the edge here if I go too far, Meg, but emotions are just a messenger system, right? Part of our neurological system is a messenger. Something is going on. It's an alert. It's a warning. It's a reminder. And so the emotional content says this is significant and it's connected to something. And if we can be present with the emotion, help the client be present with it, accept it, and then look at it, they can hear the message. What's the message? Oh my gosh, I'm being so hard on myself here, right? Or wow, this has deep value and meaning for me. Or I'm operating under an assumption that's getting me all worked up and overwhelmed when, when in fact, if I shifted my perspective or if I looked at it from a different direction, it might change the way that I actually feel about the situation. Those kind of awarenesses often come with laughter, don't they? They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm still doing that to myself, right? So it it goes from intense worry or anxiety or even fear, uh, tears to, oh gosh, that's bad again. Yeah. And there's the awareness. And that is a key element of the coaching relationship that we are helping the client create awareness, creating awareness to make change, to reach for those goals that they might need to move things out of the way to get there. Right. Excellent. So that is a myth. If a topic involves uncomfortable emotions, it can very much be a part of coaching. Thank you, Steve, for 
and we do not want you to send all your clients or ignore questions because you don't know what to do with it. It is better to acknowledge. and, And I'm hoping that for all of you who are hearing this, it gives you permission when you think, I don't have to fix it for the client. I don't have to get, if I just acknowledge and ask them what they need or give them room to collect themselves, to regulate themselves, to to just be there. I'm here with you. Let me know what you need. Yes. Let me know what you need. What can we do together that would be helpful for you right now? It's that simple. Excellent. Myth number two. What's myth number two, Mr. Coxie? Oh, now I have to put on my glasses and look old. Um, (laughs) Well, business relationships are for coaching and personal relationships are for therapy. Uh And thoughts about that? Well, if that were the case, I'd be the most jumbled up coach out there. Because one of the themes of my coaching is while working with people on leadership development, which is a lot of what I do, whether it's business owners or people within organizations on a track to move, it's a common occurrence. And I've had it where three different clients in three different places across the country, three different you know businesses, organizations within a couple of weeks have had the same thing, which is, I don't know if this is related to coaching and if we can talk about it, but I had a really tough conversation with my wife over the weekend and it was almost sort of a fight and it's been a few days and we haven't really talked about it, but I'd like to get an idea about how to address this with her. And what I say is, as long as it relates to if the organization is paying, you know, mm-hmm. pers- if someone's personally paying me, we can talk about anything, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If the organization is paying, I say, as long as it applies to your leadership development plan, absolutely. And on your leadership development plan, we have communication, right? And we have improving how you respond to people under stress. So sure, we absolutely talk about it and it's generalizable. It's relatable to leadership overall, and it helps you overall be in a better space mentally and a better place emotionally, which improves your presence in the workplace. Now, I do know that some of our audience might be life coaches. They might be relationship coaches. So certainly there's that avenue. Well, that's what I do. I work with people in coaching around relationships. I think this myth came up for us in the face of those of us who do executive coaching, leadership coaching, and feeling as though anything outside of the workplace is taboo. And in fact, our clients are going to be impacted by their relationships across the board. And that's going to impact the way that they show up for work. So one example that I have is I was working with a young leader who was high potential, doing a great job in her coaching. And we were focused around things like communication. We were focused around confidence, the way that she presented her ideas in front of leadership. But she came to one session just in tears, absolutely overwhelmed because there was an issue with her mom, who was the babysitter of her children for a couple days a week. And there had been a conflict between her young son and the grandma. And the grandma said, maybe I'm not going to do this anymore. And she was just in that place of overwhelm. Oh, yeah. And tearfulness and wanting to make everybody happy, being frustrated with her son. It was a conflictual situation that she needed to figure out how she wanted to show up 
And the way that she showed up in that situation impacted the way that she's going to show up in other situations as well. It was very appropriate to talk about in coaching. It was very much a family situation, but the way that she chose to address the issue with her mom, with her son, with her spouse, all of those were things that we could then relate to how she's going to show up at work. Right. And, you know, if we look at, so for those who work in organizational space, the leadership space, social emotional intelligence is definitely a model that many, many people are familiar with and use. So if we talk about individually self-awareness and emotional self-management, those are foundational to developing empathy and awareness of others and the ability to manage relationships with others. So even though it is about a personal relationship and your client's distress in the moment, helping her learn how to manage that distress and manage that meaningful relationship actually builds her skills for those higher level empathy and management of relationships with others in the workplace. It's actually in that framework directly related. So that's, and I think one of the other things that we talked about is how often we see systems repeat themselves. So (laughs) for years, I was a family therapist, saw family systems dynamics over and over again in the therapy that I was doing with with people. Then I transitioned into executive coaching and began to see some very similar systems playing out in organizations that were very similar to family systems. It's just that they were playing out in organizations. And my training as a therapist helped me also I think, be more effective as a coach in seeing those patterns, seeing those systems, and being able to identify how people are showing up in those situations. What are your thoughts about that? Well, one of the things that that I tell people is that really coaching around relationships is, if you're working with someone at a workplace, is only relevant if the work has clients or involves customers or there are coworkers. As long as the organization serves no people and has no people, you don't have to deal with relationships. <laughs> but for, for all the rest but other of us, than that. But for all the rest of us, there are relationships because that's how people interact. Relationship dynamics will come in. And that is a place where coaches who want to know a little bit and look at you know some system dynamics just begin to explore it can increase their awareness so that you can ask questions of someone that that open those powerful questions that open their understanding of the situation or the relationship with someone you know hmm what is it about that person that gets you so frustrated mm-hmm. or why this person but not someone else right mm-hmm. just, it's a beautiful place for exploration without having to go deeply into something complex like a therapist might, right? Uh, but it's a helpful concept. But at the same time, just realizing that those systems do exist, those patterns are there. And when we can help spotlight them and better understand them, we can help our clients once again, increase awareness. And when we can increase awareness, we can make some choices about what we're doing. Now, this very topic leads right into our third myth. And our third myth is that therapeutic models or frameworks are only for therapy. And if, if we're using those in coaching, then we're trying to teach people how to be therapists. And that's not the case. It's not the, the approach that we take with our clients that's important as much as the content that we're discussing with the client around the different frameworks. So I teach cognitive coaching. 
Mm-hmm. I teach motivational interviewing for coaches. And I also teach solution-focused coaching. All of those come from a framework that is initially a therapeutic framework. What are your thoughts about that? So in addition to those models, the coaching school that I train with incorporates some elements of the ACT model, acceptance and commitment therapy. And there's an anecdote about acceptance and commitment therapy that tells me it is absolutely appropriate for coaching. And it comes from a training course I did with one of the well-known trainers in, in this model who said that Stephen Hayes, who originated ACT, called it acceptance and therapy because he wanted the acronym ACT, A-C-T. He wanted to call it the ACT model. In fact, if people call it A-C-T, he gets upset. No, it's ACT because it's behavioral. So he wanted to call it ACT because it's behavioral. And the point that the instructor was making is that it is not a therapy model. It is actually a set of techniques that can be applied to a variety of therapy models and to other interventions for other Other helping conversations. Yes. Education, coaching, training, etc. In fact, this guy would go and train people on using the model and it wasn't therapy and it wasn't group therapy. It was working with groups and high conflict situations. Let's use this model so we can use some self-management skills to have less conflict. With that in mind, that to me becomes a template for taking other pieces of other models and bringing them in. In in the program that I work with, we have a lot of therapists who come through and are learning coaching and they get stuck on. Now, wait a minute. If I'm asking that kind of question about a person's belief or exploring their values or helping them see how they're making a decision about something. That's that's what I do as a cognitive behavioral therapist. That makes it therapy. And my position after considering this for many years and over many conversations is that it is not your behavior as a coach, which would make that be therapy. It's not the technique that makes it therapy because therapists ask a lot of informational questions. That doesn't make informational questions therapy. Therapists can lightly explore what's going on with someone today. Gently, that doesn't make it therapy. What makes it therapy in my world is what's your purpose. Your purpose is to remediate, fix, repair, overcome trauma, restore from something that is diagnosable disorder. Then your purpose is therapy. If your purpose is not therapy, you can use the techniques as long as you're not intending to fix or help someone overcome or remediate or heal or recover. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better. Perfectly said. Now, one of the other things that we sort of explored was that because many times or many of our audience might be recovering uh, therapists as ourselves or, or, you know, have, have been therapists in the past. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It, It comes to part of that is even sort of the foundational pieces of our business. What do we ask for in the way of information when it comes to bringing in a new coaching client versus starting with a a therapy client. As a therapist, I had quite a lengthy intake process that included a full psychosocial history, included all the medications that the client was taking, all of the past therapy that the client had, whether Mm -hmm. the client, who the doctors were that the client was seeing, a a really a medical, psychosocial, full history. Oh, yes. Because that is 
under the umbrella of being a responsible therapist. As a coach, we're going to ask for different kinds of information as we begin our journey in the coaching relationship. And and I would encourage you to be thinking about, you know, what's the information that I'm asking for and what am I going to do with that information? So, Steve, what kinds of information do you ask of your new coaching clients? Um, it will depend a little bit on what the engagement is about. So if I'm working as a subcontractor, very often it's already defined. They come to me with an assessment of some sort, whatever one that the organization has been convinced is, is right, around some degree of leadership competencies, some sort of personality style thing usually, and then their development plan, two or three things they want to be working on. And with that information, Pretty much what I want to ask them is, in general terms, what do you do in the organization? And then starting out, is there anything you think I need to know about you? And honestly, that's as much as I start out with. Mm -hmm. I find I don't need to ask a lot of questions in the beginning, especially if there's some assessment and I know their place in the organization, because, because it doesn't matter that I get it or understand it, right? If I'm trying to understand the details of their world and their experience, I'm in narrative and I'm in level one. You know, listening, where it's all about me understanding as opposed to listening to them. So I don't ask a whole lot. Now, when it's someone who's directly employing me, which is usually going to be a small business owner, there's a little bit more about what are your goals for the business and for your leadership style. And so we're creating their leadership plan because they haven't done that process before, like the people within an organization may have. But it's just getting clear about the goals and what's relevant to them. And I don't do a whole lot of exploration of what values matter to you. We'll, we'll get to those as they come up. Invite them to take the VIA survey. Oh, by the way, it's just listening to the podcast with Ryan Nemec. He's one of my, the rock stars. I, I love Ryan. And so the VIA is one of the things I like all my clients to take so I can work with that strengths model. But I don't ask. I just don't ask a lot of questions otherwise. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I will do is I will offer my new clients an introductory questions. It's about six to eight questions that ask, you know, what what's motivating them to engage in coaching? What are some of the those developmental goals that they're thinking through? Because I find that if my clients think those things through before we meet the first time, mm-hmm. they're while those answers might change they're in a better place to begin to explore what's going on. I ask them about their support systems so that they think about their support systems. Mm -hmm. And one of the last questions I ask is anything, anything that comes to your mind that you want me to know about you. Right. However, as we discussed, as coaches, we're not necessarily under HIPAA protection. Right. And therefore asking for health information is not really in our in in our sandbox. It's in a violation of the client's privacy. It falls within that question that we both talked about. What else do I need to know if they want to volunteer it? But asking for it in a coaching relationship because a client can feel obliged to answer and may not be in a place of saying, oh no, that's my private health information. I'm going to right. protect it. They may feel like they need to answer. You're right. It's very important that coaches know, even if they have a health background, a therapy background, something. And I think this is really relevant because it helps. Or I'm so used to asking this and I believe that it's so important. I would just encourage you to shift like the lens that you're looking through now because you are are not looking through the same lens anymore. Correct. Absolutely. 
Okay. So myth number four. What's myth number four, Steve? Oh, one of my favorites. I, I, this used to be in, in part of the curriculum that I would teach with the new coaches. And I would say, I have to say this to you because there's this, you know, exam where there's a, like a matrix. This is comparing coaching and therapy and you need to know these details, but it's not true. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't buy into this, but I'm going to teach it anyway. I had to for the test, right? And this was years ago. Coaching only deals with the present and the future. And therapy is all about the past, especially the idea of excavating the past. Therapy excavates the past. So you're saying that that's a myth. I, but yes. come on, Steve. Coaching <laughs> only deals with the present and the future. How come that is a myth? So on, on both sides, it's a myth, right? Because therapy has, for quite a while, there have been models of therapy that are not so psychodynamic, not so much about excavating the past. In that intake interview, we may be looking at developmental information and family systems, and it may come up once in a while, but we're not, you know, sitting there having someone recreate the details of their relationship with their mother when they were three years old to figure out how that's being expressed in their dreams today. Many models of therapy are solution-focused. They're cognitive behavioral. It's an intervention in the thought process right now. It's the ACT model. I'm not concerned with the quality. The content of your thought that's distressing you, we're just going to find a technique so that you can not engage with that thought. There's no past digging involved. So there are many models of therapy that don't go a lot into the past. So on that side, it's untrue. Then when we get to coaching, people have a past. (laughs) They have a history. And one of the aspects of helping them come to awareness, one of the things that we can help them see is their patterns of behavior. And when we're helping a client see patterns of behavior, there's going to be a little bit of past in it, right? Mm -hmm. Where else do you do this? They didn't just do it today, right? Right. Yeah. Our our client is not just exploding from a pod right before sessions. I think the difference is, is that we don't want to get pulled into the unproductive past where we're just whirling around a problem. We're whirling around all the causes of the problem, the reasons for the problem, the, you know, let's just ask every question about what's going on right now and what's not working right now. And how long has it not been working? And for, you know, who made this happen? And there is definitely an unproductive past, but there's also a past that involves successes that involves patterns that work for us and patterns that don't work for us. There's belief systems that do not spring forth immediately. We, We in coaching talk about the model of the world. A client's model of the world comes from the past. It comes okay. from their experiences yeah. and their the way that they were raised and the culture that they, they come from. And so many things make up their model of the world. It does not spring forth just from that moment. So I think that there is a big part of creating awareness and helping a client understand the way that they're showing up and the way that they want to be and the way that they want to move forward that has some to do with the way that they have been prior to. Well, specifically since coaching is about change, mm-hmm. helping clients with the process of changing their internal processes, right? So that they can change how they act in the world to get different results. We have to look at what they've been doing, which is the past. (laughs) So we, we have to deal with it. Yes, we don't, we, and it can be as simple as, 
you know, you, that's the third time you've you've mentioned really kind of butting heads with this person at work. Is 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 this a pattern for you with a lot of people, or is it specific to that person? And they reflect and they go, well, you know, that really there's some some people in my family that I've kind of been like that with. I'm not going to jump in and say, tell me all about that. Tell me who they are. What are the relationship dynamics? I'll I'll just go. Oh, so now that you realize that, what do you want to do with it? That's as far as I need to go as a coach. That's as much as I need to ask unless they want to offer more and explore it more. Just you've gotten this awareness. What are you going to do with it? So we don't have to dig it up, but we do have to aim that spotlight at it. Right. Right. And then just stay curious about where those patterns have been, how the client's being impacted by things, mm-hmm. help them connect the dots. And some right. of those dots are before this moment. Yes, they are. Yes, yes, they are. Okay. And myth number five, if a client has a therapist, they shouldn't have a coach. And if a client has a coach and they need a therapist, then I need to stop coaching with them. So therefore, Basically, the myth is a client can't have a therapist and a coach simultaneously. What's your thoughts about that? My thought about that is when the, especially, I think when the therapist is especially aware of what coaching is and how it functions, um, it can be, uh, they can be very compatible processes, right? That a client can be in therapy for a challenging relationship, techniques for managing anxiety that that's overwhelming at times or working through depression and they're dealing with very personal things and maybe traumatic events or maybe a history of things that's caused their anxious response but they're in coaching for leadership development in the workplace or for a career change and it's active forward movement and helpful for them to be coached to be making these advances where the therapist would look and say wow they've made a lot of improvement at managing their anxiety and now they are ready, no longer overwhelmed by anxiety about moving up in the workplace or trying for that next position, it would be helpful for them to have support in doing that. Then the therapist can see reaching out for the next level career or the next level promotion is a a therapeutically beneficial thing and a coach can help them do it. So, so from the therapist's point of view, it can be viewed as very helpful and supplemental, complementary. And from, from the coach's point of view, right, if you have a client who you realize is having some high anxiety or depressive features, and then they do start with therapy, then as long as you can say, I would like to know some guidelines, if your therapist has some guidelines about what we may talk about or not talk about or anything the therapist thinks you communicate that to me or if you want me to talk with the therapist briefly just about how we approach coaching and what maybe I need to know about that I would I would love to continue working with you you work on those personal issues there we'll go forward as long as it doesn't interfere with your therapy I think it can be done I absolutely understand why coaches could be concerned about it about crossing the line or what if i what if I mess it up, right? What if this person's getting therapy and then we're talking about things that I screw it up, which is why it's helpful if you can have a conversation very narrowly focused with the therapist on when we're coaching on these goals, is there anything I should be aware of to be careful about as coach? And that's about, I think that's, that's the only kind of line you need. 
Good. So with that, you might need a release of information. Likely the therapist will be the one that wants to get a release of information Uh that the client signs off on that it's okay for you guys to share around those specific information. We'll want to have an understanding of what are the shared issues? What are the trigger issues for the client? Uh So that if you walk into a particular area, you're sending them right back to therapy if if you're triggering some things. So if you know that in advance, and can help work with the client to be collaborative with the the therapist. Both are coaching, are helping conversations. A therapy session, our therapy relationship is a helping relationship, as is a coaching relationship. So how can you coordinate and collaborate with the therapist? Now, there might also be times that you are in coaching with someone who doesn't have a therapist, and you feel you're wondering if, in fact, there is a need to refer to a therapist. Steve, what are some of the things that, in general, might require a, a referral to a therapist? Right. So, so Meg, you and I and, and other therapists who become coaches have an advantage here, right, because we, we know the psychopathology models and the diagnostic approaches and have more inside information. And I think coaches who don't have that background are, are concerned about what's my responsibility here. But there are, are some particular kinds of things that, that you probably are already getting a gut response to, right? If, if the client is talking about, say, substance use, like using alcohol, if you keep hearing comments about, oh, what a wild weekend I had, I think maybe I drank too much. If you're picking up on possible substance abuse, if you're hearing a, a recurring kind of reactive but explosive anger uh, in situations, If you're hearing that the anxiety is not just about preparing for the presentation, right? Because speaking in front of public is like the number one fear of of people. So they're not just anxious about that, but you're not situational. It's sort of, yeah, generalized or, or as you start noticing, wow, they're, they're anxious about that. And the sleep's just, I was, couldn't get to sleep because my thoughts are worrying and, and that becomes a pattern, right? Because disrupted sleep from anxiety and worry is a diagnostic indicator. Sadness, low energy, the kind of things that, that aren't just, I had a, a difficult time at work or I'm having, or I had a bad day. I had a series of bad days. days. Yeah. It's ongoing and they don't seem to be lifting. And And prevalent. And And interferes with them being able to do what they say that they want to do in coaching. I, you know, I can't move forward because I can't get out of bed in the morning or I can't move forward because I just have such low energy. I'm in a fog. I can't concentrate. I can't focus. I keep having these thoughts that interrupt my ability to engage fully in this relationship or in work or whatever it is. And the other thing that comes that I have found as a coach is if the client continues to get pulled into the past, Mm -hmm. into patterns that are not working for them and do not want to release those patterns to be able to move forward, whether it's a continuous pattern of feeling victimized by, or that because this happened to me, you know, 10 years ago, I'm, I can't move forward because this person treated me this particular way. I just am holding on to it and it's keeping me stuck. Those kinds of things indicate to me that this person's not ready to 
sort of create the kind of energy flow towards the future that they want in coaching, and they might need to deal with some unresolved issues from the past. Right. And especially uh, if clients start talking about, well, I really thought I wanted to do this, but now I'm kind of losing my motivation. And you're hearing more and more about, I'm not sure I care about this. And they're kind of losing interest in other things. They're losing their motivation overall. It even doesn't have to be clearly just hopelessness or helplessness, but just kind of a giving up sense that that can be emotional overwhelm and uh, what we call anhedonia, a loss of interest in, in things that were previously enjoyable and pleasing. Those are indications that, that there could be a disruption in mood as well. So what I would recommend is that if you are somebody who does coaching in a particular area, if your clients tend to be centric to where you live, where you make a, create relationships with therapists in your area, A, those therapists can be great resources if you're wondering whether or not you need to refer. Therapists like to have referral sources. Mm -hmm. So you might be a referral source for, and they might be a referral source for you. So it can be a great mutual sort of professional relationship that benefits both of you, but primarily benefits your clients. If you are somebody who does coaching around the world or whatever that you don't necessarily have a particular place, you still might create a relationship with the therapist to be able to be able to bounce some ideas off of them. Right. One of the things that, that there's a couple things that I do when people say, who should I refer somebody to for therapy? The first place I consistently start is who's the insurance carrier for the client because I could send you to like the best therapist in the world, but if they're not on that person's insurance plan, it might create additional anxiety for the, that they're not going to be covered or they're not. So I usually say start with a call to the, or have the client start with a call to their insurance company, ask about providers in their area, be able to share what's going on. So when I was a therapist, Every insurance plan I was on, I had to fill out a detailed sort of profile of who I was, the kinds of clients that I saw, what my specialties were. Well, that's so that when people call their insurance companies, those, and many times when you call the insurance company, you're actually being linked to a therapist in the insurance company that can help you link to, not always, but if you're asking particularly for their mental health division, it can be somebody who is trained to get you linked up with the right person. Another key element and support for your clients might be their employee assistance program. Many companies have solid employees. My best friend is the employee assistance provider for one of the largest companies here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She links people with therapists all the time. So it could very well be that you know some people, that you help link people up through their insurance company, or that they link up through their employee assistance program. Other ideas, Steve, for ways to find therapists? If a person has a relationship with a primary care provider, physician, or say nurse practitioner, that's their primary medical care provider, uh, that person will be at least trained in psychiatric screening. So they'll have some tools to determine, uh, does this look like it might require therapy? Is it serious enough that it might be beneficial to consider a medication intervention for a period of time? And they're usually connected with 
therapist or have a referral coordinator who can help the their patient that that they would see that person as a patient connect with the therapist that's on that panel or or that network. Absolutely. Great resource. Your client hopefully already has a relationship established with their primary care physician. Therefore, that primary care physician, I used to get referred to by PCPs all the time. Mm -hmm. So Steve, what did we not talk about that we want to be sure that people think about when we debunk these myths about coaching versus therapy? There is not an electrified, it's not a third rail that's electrified, right? You don't need to be afraid. We touched on it, but I kind of want to emphasize it. You don't need to be afraid that you're crossing the line and screwing things up. If if you're asking questions from a, from a coaching model, a place of presence and curiosity and attunement, then you're not going to cross the line into something that's vulnerable for a person in that intrusive sort of pushy way that would be hurtful, right? So if you're self-managing as a coach and you're learning yourself as a coach and you're in a place of presence, um, you're not, you're going to know if your, your gut's going to tell you that question feels a little intrusive and you're either not going to ask it because you know, it's a little intrusive or you're going to say, a question just popped into my head, but it feels like it, it feels uncomfortable to me. So it might be uncomfortable to you. I'm going to ask it, but if it's the kind of question that that's not helpful, let's just let it go. Right? So you can do that. You can say this, this question feels heavy, but it seems relevant. Maybe you decide you're the client. So trust your intuition that you're developing and, you know, be open, attuned, present, and curious with your client and let that guide you. Oh, Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope this was helpful to everyone. It was great to kind of talk about those blurred lines sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Steve, I so appreciate your time today. It was a blast. Thank you, May. So there you are. I know that this episode ran a little longer than some of our other episodes, but I felt like it was worth it to get into some of those questions that people have when they're wondering what they need to do in a particular situation or wondering if they're crossing the line. So I want to once again thank Steve Coxie for coming on the show and partnering with me as we explore these myths about therapy versus coaching And I want to once again encourage you to explore the Essence of Mastery Summit if you are wanting to continue to learn and grow with masterful coaches. Check out the link in the show notes and at starcoachshow.com. So until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic day.